Welcome to the St. Elias Report, where evil and heresy are exposed by the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ through sacred scripture and tradition of the one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I am your host and humble servant of God, George Anthony. Hello, this is a quick producer's note from Vic Hermanson. The George Anthony St. Elias Report is very much a spontaneous production. Its power comes from the zeal that George Anthony brings to it. I could spend a great deal of time fixing any small errors or ticking out any slightly long pauses. But the truth is, that would take away some of its power and some of the message. So, presented essentially unedited, is the eighth episode of the St. Elias Report. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Woe to the world for temptation to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the man by whom temptation comes, and if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame with two hands or two feet than be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that was Matthew 18 verses 8 and 9, where Jesus is explaining that if something causes you to sin, it is way better for you to cut that thing off which causes you to sin than include it in your life. When Jesus Christ was talking about into life, he was talking into eternal life, into heaven, into true life with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. I want to say, Brothers and sisters, it's been some time since I've been with you. I've had some personal things happening in my life, some sicknesses, some tragedies, nothing that I need sympathy for, but I appreciate your prayers. Those of you who pray for me and those of you who don't, I appreciate that you pray for me and I will continue to pray for you all. I only know a handful of you by name, if any of you at all, but I do ask that you continue to pray for me and my family to uplift us in prayer through these trials and tribulations, not only personal, whatever we may be going through, but the things that the world is going through now, the things that the Catholic Church is going through now, the things that the brothers and sisters, the separated brethren of goodwill, our Protestant brothers and sisters are going through, and simply all men and women who want truth, because at the end of the day, truth is only the man named Jesus Christ, God the second person of the Holy Trinity. There is no other truth. It is not arbitrary. It is not up for discussion. It is not up for dialogue. 
It is not up for uh, debate. If you want the truth in your life, through all things, you will find the only truth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Simple as that. What I want to speak to you today, ladies and gentlemen, my brothers and sisters, is about a couple of topics. I want to speak to you about the recent pronouncements out of the Vatican about baptizing the children of gay couples, about transgender godparents, about transgender baptism, and about the pronouncement of removing His Grace Bishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas, from his apostolic seat in Tyler. All these things are absolutely 100% related. The critic and the skeptic would say, no, they're not. We're going through a revolution in the church. We're going through a change in the church. Um, The faith needs to change. We need to get with the program, the programming being secular society. But what I'm going to discuss today, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly what that gospel verse is talking about. Things that cause you to sin have no place on the body. Which body? The body of Christ. See, Jesus knew all these things were going to happen. It's not just here in the United States, New Zealand, Australia, England, Portugal, Spain, India. These things are happening universally. Christ is a universal truth. He's not a Western truth. He's not an Eastern truth. He's a universal truth. And if we want to follow him faithfully, we want to follow him truthfully and honestly, we can't take the truth of the gospel and mishmash it with the world and secularism and modernism and popularism and try to come up with something that suits our delicate natures because we don't want to change. We don't want to be insulted. We want to live in peace and harmony. I say it over and over again. Christ said, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. He wanted to separate the sinful from the pure, the profane from the sacred. This is what Christ came to do. And to bring the sinners into repentance, not to bring the holy into the profane. The church doesn't exist for our gratification. The church doesn't exist as a social club to make us feel good about what we do. The church is here to call us sinners all to repentance, to change, to become like Christ, not to change the dictates of the Holy Bible of Christ and Holy tradition into something that makes us feel good. Listen, if it makes you feel good and you're living contrary to the Bible, contrary to the tradition, contrary to the apostles, contrary to the lives of the examples of the holy saints and martyrs and people who spilled their blood for this book called the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, then you're living in sin. And don't convince anyone else that you're not. Why do we have these words like, coming out of the closet. Well, if you are in a closet to begin with, why? If you're so sure that your LGBTQ plus sexual deviant lifestyle is a sin, why are you in the closet? 
because there's still a part of God who you were made in the likeness and image of that pulls on your soul. It's only by society's machinations that you decide that right is wrong, good is bad, up is down, left is right. We know as human beings what pulls on our soul. You can never, ever separate the soul that God has given you from God without intentionally doing so. In other words, you can't be born into a society that's full of LGBTQ, sexual deviancy, divorce, abortion, and murder, even if you were the only person growing up and not feel that something is wrong. You will feel it. Shortly thereafter, you may have it uh, cultured out of you, so to speak, pushed out of you by the world, telling you that your feelings of, of annoyance or the little pricking in your heart and your soul that telling you something is not right is incorrect. But we're not born that way, okay? We're not born for sin. We're born to glorify God. Jesus is the word made flesh. He was the word that was with God and he was God. And it says in the Holy Bible that God knew us before we were born. So we were made for him. Okay. We aren't made to do our own things and make us feel good carnally. Okay. If now you feel great and you're following the gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Scriptures, you can be assured that that goodness the feeling of goodness and purity is not one of euphoria all the time. There might be some suffering in there. So we need to get rid of the whole idea of feeling good carnally, pleasures of the flesh and the sexual organs equal good. They don't. Not all the time. Okay, if you're in a relationship, a committed marriage, and you're having sexual relations, these feelings that you have between natural feelings between a man and a woman are good and blessed by God. These are what they're made for. The procreation of life, the procreation of love. They're not meant for Friday night after the club and a whole bottle of whiskey. Okay. Marriage between one man and one woman is needed before these feelings are valid and blessed by God. And these pleasures are only given to us to be celebrated within the sacredness of matrimony holy matrimony the sacrament between one man and one woman to procreate children for the glorification of god's kingdom to increase god's kingdom the church ladies and gentlemen is not here for us we are the church that is here to worship god church is not a democracy okay is a 100% monarchy, and the head of that church is Christ the King. And who he put in his place was St. Peter and the 12 apostles. And who they put in their place were the gentlemen that we have now, good, bad, or indifferent. These are the successor to the apostles, the Pope being the apostle of apostles, the head of the apostles. But it's an unfortunate circumstance and situation that the world has now crept into the Vatican. The worldliness, the sinfulness, 
the degradational ideas have now crept their way into the Vatican and some degree cardinals and bishops and even the Pope's ideas. Okay, we're all men and women. We're all human beings. Therefore, we're all sinful by nature. There is no walking saint among us. There is never a walking saint among us. We have no saints that walk among us. Judgment only comes at the time of death. So for anyone to believe they're a walking saint is ridiculous. That being said, for anyone to believe that another one is condemned to hell immediately while they sin on earth is also ridiculous. So when we are critical, when I am critical of our pastors, our bishops, our deacons, even our Holy Father at some points, this is in no way me condemning them to hell. That's not for me to say. That's for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to be the judge of all men and women. But we can judge a tree by its fruits, as Christ said. We can say that that tree is a fig tree because it produces figs. So I can say that the ideas that are coming out of the Vatican, the pronouncements of the, some of these holy offices, the offices that control faith and worship and things that affect Catholicism are purely nonsense and in some cases completely evil. We dare not judge the men who pronounce them because that is not for us to judge. But we can judge the pronouncements that they come out of their mouth and say, this is ridiculous. We must resist. We must defend the deposit of faith. We must continue to be Catholic regardless of the lack of Catholicism by those who are in power to teach Catholicism. Now, some of those things I mentioned, I want to break down. I, I, I want to go into the proposed baptism of children of gay couples. Some of this stuff sounds like nonsense to most of you who are listening. Uh, you're professed Catholics. You're either very conservative or you're coming into the church or you understand, or even men and women who are just listening to this podcast because they want to hear something different. But some of this stuff sounds ridiculous in the fact that you already believe this is built in. And when you find out that it's not, you become very surprised. So let me, let me, let me, let me get into it here. So there's been some um, questions going to the Holy Father and to, to the, the different holy offices in Rome asking if one can baptize a child of a gay couple? And the answer, as usual, has always been maybe. Well, I shouldn't say it always has been. Most lately, it's been maybe. Because, unfortunately, we have a bunch of wishy-washy, flip-floppity, can't-be-direct-in-their-pronouncements what is Catholic and what is not? So let me let me give you the necessary requirements for what it means to be baptized in the Catholic Church. Okay, besides form and substance, which is water running over the head, and the pronouncement that I baptize you, John, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the form and the substance. There's also the hope, the great hope that the child being baptized will be brought up in the Catholic faith. Now tell me, people, 
Tell me, how can a living in sin gay couple possibly, possibly, possibly try to bring up a child in the Catholic faith? If by virtue of their lifestyle, by virtue of their living situation, they are already causing scandal to this child by having two fathers, two mothers, whatever you want to call it. There's never two fathers and two mothers. You only get one father and one mother. It's biologically impossible, scientifically and spiritually, to have two fathers or two mothers. You either have a step, you have to add a word in there somewhere. Okay, adopt it, step. Uh, there's some word that you have to add in in the English in order to make it acceptable, because there's no you have one father and one mother. Saint Joseph was the stepfather of Jesus. He was not Jesus's father. Saint Joseph treated Jesus as if he was his father because he took him under his wing in the house of David, and he made sure that he had the clothes he needed, the education he needed. He probably even taught him his trade as a tecton, which means in Greek, a hand worker, worked on stone, worked on wood, gave him these things. He was an adopted father, a stepfather, whatever, a foster father, all these words, but he was not his father. So likewise, two men cannot be both father to a child and two women cannot be Mother to a child. All right, George, what's that have to do with baptism? What has to do with baptism is the simple fact that the church requires that there is a a lively hope, a great hope that that child will be raised Catholic. Now, how can that child be raised Catholic by virtue of the circumstances, culturally and living lifestyle, that you're living a sinful lifestyle, you're going to raise this person Catholic? So let me get this straight. The response probably is, well, we want them to live a Catholic lifestyle. But because let me tell you, living a true Catholic lifestyle will not accept two women as mother and two men as father for a child. And once that child learns that, and these couples that request this are doing it for nefarious purposes. I don't say all of them, but this 95% is trying to infiltrate the church to change it from within. I really don't think that a a gay couple really wants their child to grow up in the true Catholic sense of the word. Because the day the child actually realizes what the true Catholicism is and turns to mommy one, biological, and mommy two, fake, and says, you two are living in sin. The Holy Gospels and the epistles, according to St. Paul, clearly point at your lifestyle as sodomy. Clearly point at your lifestyle as degradation. Do you really think they want that to happen? No, they don't. And they probably will never instill that in their child. So how can a gay couple raise a child Catholic? They can't. They raise it Catholic light. What's Catholic light? Culturally Catholic. Church. Christmas. Easter. Maybe. Liberal parish. Maybe. Uh, Put them in choir. Maybe. Even put them in Catholic school. I've seen it. But what they don't teach is the doctrines of the faith that say, hey, Mommy and mommy are living wrong. They're not going to teach that because that disrupts their whole apple cart. So this whole maybe out of the Vatican is just a wishy-washy way of making people feel good. What should have been said is absolutely not. Repent and turn away from your sin. 
again and again, the Lord Jesus says, repent and turn away from your sin. And then he forgives the sin. He doesn't, he doesn't just go and do healings and, 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 and without calling people to conversion. Every single time he says, your belief has healed you. Go and sin no more. There's always something that Jesus says when he, when he speaks to someone uh, who is in a, in a sinful state or who is in a paralytic state or who's in a demonic state or is in some kind of uh, uh, irregular state in a position where they need help. It's always your faith has healed you because now they've crossed, the, they've crossed the, the threshold from disbelief to belief or go and sin no more. In other words, your sins are forgiven you. He just doesn't go and say, all right, I'm going to do a bunch of healings, going to do all these things, and, you know, just live like you're living. Hey, you know, prostitute. Some say Mary Magdalene, others don't. There's a debate whether Mary Magdalene was a prostitute or she was not, but she was definitely had demons in her. He didn't go to that woman. You're healed. I've taken the demons away from you. Now go and sleep with some more men for money. He said, your sins are forgiven. They have not condemned you, so therefore I will not condemn you. Go and sin no more. So why are the successor to the apostles, the cardinals and the bishops and the Holy Catholic Church, who sit in these fancy offices, unable to say, absolutely not. We do not offer baptism to children who are living with homosexuals because there is no chance that the homosexuals would truly teach them the faith. They're going to give them some light version. Yeah, give them Holy Communion. Yeah, give them uh, the Our Father. Yeah, give them uh, a couple of Bible verses. Send them on their way. And by the time they're 18 or 20, you don't see them in the church again until they're going to marry their gay spouse, which at that probably time will be, uh, according to some in the church, okay, which is never listed or valid, completely uh, a doctrinal sin, completely 100% insanity. We'll get to that later. But, you know, at that time, and you don't see them again until they baptize their kid, if they have a kid, or until they're, they're dead. But you don't see them in church. You don't, you don't see them practicing their faith. Catholicism isn't something you do on Sunday. Christianity, at large, isn't something you do on Sunday. It's something you live every single day. So how are you going to live Christianity Catholicism in a gay household. It doesn't make any sense. A baptism should not be offered to the children of homosexuals. It just should not. You put that soul in jeopardy more, more in danger. More in danger. There is no chance for that child to do anything else except sin or believe in something that is ridiculous. So the weak people uh, not even people, the weak men in the church say maybe under certain, certain circumstances, and I'm sure some of them speak like that as well. The answer is no. Turn away from sin. Break up your, your gay relationship. Be a single parent, whoever the actual parent of that child is, whether adopted or biological. Or you get no baptism for your child. You're putting your child in grave danger. You're already in grave danger of hell. 
you're putting your child in the same situation because you're going to raise them as I'm mommy and she's mommy. He's daddy and he's daddy. This is that and this is that. And the world is okay. No, there are consequences to our actions. I dare any gay couple to say that. And then maybe I will have a, a personal consideration where they turn away from their sin and they live as uh, sisters or brothers without any kind of sexual relationship in the house. And they profess that the previous relationship that they had is wrong. Then maybe, then just maybe, but that's not what it is. Let's be honest, ladies and gentlemen. If it looks like a cat, smells like a cat, purrs like a cat, makes noises like a cat, the thing's a cat. Why do I use cat and not duck? Because everyone says walks like a duck. Because a cat is sneaky. Cat walks around and is independent and tries to do its own thing. I'm not against cats. I'm not a cat lover. I'm a dog lover. But I'm not against cats. But I'm giving an example of what's being done here. What's being done here is there's several fronts on which the liberalized, worldly, kumbaya, everybody gets along. Let's not believe in the old-fashioned Catholicism doctrine people want to get in. They try through baptism. They try through sponsoring marriages. They try through prayer. They try through the new mass. They try every single way. We're being attacked on multiple fronts and no one can see it. At least many of the people that are surround me can't see it. Many, Some of the people around me can. I, I should give credit where it's credit's due. But many of the Catholics that I, I spend Sundays in church with, even conservative ones, don't see it. You can't just change a deposit of faith that was handed down from Jesus Christ to the apostles to the church and say, because it's good for man. What's good for man is the truth given to us by Jesus Christ, not a watered-down secular version. How, how can someone say we want to change God's laws to make someone feel good? I, I, I still struggle with understanding how, how these men can call themselves priests and prelates, cardinals and bishops, and even the Pope, and say, maybe some circumstances, there's a clear right and wrong in Catholicism. There's a clear yes and no. There's a clear sacred, and there's a clear profane. There's clear sinning and clear glorification of God. There's clear heaven, and there's clear hell. So the next subject is all along the same lines, transgender godparents. This one, this one is even more stupid, more asinine, more ridiculous than the first. The first you could give the argument, well, the baby's innocent. And yes, I've heard the argument and I've pondered the argument, but at the end of the day, I stick with the I stick with the truth of the matter that you put the baby's soul in grave mortal danger even being unbaptized and innocent, more so than you do baptizing it. Or excuse me, the other way around. You, you, when you baptize a child who has no chance of living a Christian life, is more in danger than someone who's unbaptized and later gets baptized at a, at a later date. But this next subject is transgender godparents. Same situation. A couple of bishops and priests petitioned the Vatican and said, hey, listen, we got a situation in our diocese. Can we have transgender godparents? Now, let's show you the shift that's come out of the, the Vatican. In 2015, this question was asked publicly, 
if godparents could be transgender? And at that time, the answer was absolutely not. For whatever reason. Well, I know the reason. Because it's a ridiculous question. The words are Godfather and Godmother. They are not Godfather, who's really your Godmother, or Godmother, who's really your Godfather, or God person, or God genderqueer, or God in between, or God I'm not sure, God non binary, God bisexual. God, transsexual, God, it's stupid. The purpose of Godparents are to model in conjunction with the parents God's truth. And part of God's truth is that he created Adam and Eve and holy matrimony for the procreation of children to increase the kingdom of God. God created us because he loved us, but the expectation was that we'd love him back for that blessing, that great blessing of life. We owe God everything. God owes us nothing. People who use God as a genie and think he owes us something or that he needs to do this and he needs to do that. And why is there this in the world? And why do people die? Why do babies die? Because he's God. Once you understand that this is a kingdom and not a democracy, it's not a feel-good, and that you're slaves to God, whether you want to believe it or not. He doesn't make us zombies. When I say slave to God, I don't mean slave like he puts us in chains and he beats us. But this isn't a democracy where he's going to ask your opinion. He is not asking your opinion. So, um, uh, Moses, what do you think those Ten Commandments should be? Uh, should, should we do the whole honor your father and mother thing? Nonsense. God proclaimed for once and for all, what his rules were. So this whole idea of the synod on synodality, or I like to call it the synod on sin and idolatry, because that's more like what it is, is just a bunch of nonsense, woke words. They have things like, it's a listening church. We must listen to all confession. And I'm ad-libbing, but these are these are coming straight out of the synod documents. And I suggest you you go and look at them. It's a li- We are a listening church. We're listening to all confessions and all uh, walks of life. Why? Why am I listening to all confessions and all walks of life? Only person you should be listening to, not Muslims, not Buddhists, not Jainism, not communism, not LGBTQ plus lifestyles. We don't happen to listen to anyone, no one except one. Jesus Christ. Himself, God the Father, the Holy Gospel, and the Old Testament. That's the only thing you need listen to. Everything else, contrary to those things, nonsense. Nonsense. Whoever puts out a document with a church seal on it, from the Synod of Synodality, and calls it an official document of the church or a working document, whatever you want to call it, all that paper, all that garbage, it doesn't mean anything. There's probably some good in there somewhere. I just haven't been able to see it through the – I mean, you have a good apple between a bunch of rotting trash. Eventually, that apple is going to turn into rotting trash as well. 
It's the way decomposition works. We don't need to listen to anyone. This listening church, how does one feel? How does one do? How do, Jesus didn't say, how do you feel about not sinning anymore? Does that make you happy? He said, go and sin no more. He gave a command. A command. He didn't ask the prostitute, you know, are, are you going to cut it out a little bit? Maybe try to not sleep with the men anymore for money. He didn't tell the blind man who apparently had some sins, ancestral sins, or something that he did. Oh, you know, just keep doing whatever. He said, go and sin no more. Your faith has cured you. Every single time Jesus Christ gave a command to go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. Will Jesus Christ forgive you? Yes. Will Jesus forgive the homosexual? Yes. Will Jesus forgive the murderer? Yes. Will Jesus forgive the abortionist? Yes. Will Jesus forgive the thief? Yes. Will Jesus forgive the warmonger? Yes. Will Jesus forgive the gambler? Yes. Will Jesus forgive the drunkard? Yes. Will Jesus forgive everyone? Yes. What do you need to be forgiven? You need to turn your life around, bring yourself from the profane to the sacred, and then follow his law as perfectly as you can. And when you stumble, there is confession and forgiveness again. How many times shall I forgive my brother? 70 times 77. In the Hebrew world, that means infinitely. Christ's forgiveness is infinite. So if Christ's forgiveness is infinite, why do we want to change the church into making it a sinful institution? Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could have it our way. He died on the cross for our sins, for the things that we owe the Father. But this whole idea that this church organization, this modern church that we have. I mean church in the big C. Uh, any confession that you want to want to put out there, Baptists, Lutherans, Catholics, of course this is the Catholic podcast, but seeing the church as uh, the body of Christ, the people who believe in the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord, he was the Logos. If you believe in that, you are a Christian. Yes, you probably, not all of you are Catholic. Some of you are separated brethren, uh, brethren. Uh, have some issues with the Catholic Church, and I understand that. But at the very least, you believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You believe in, in, in the confession of faith, and you understand that Jesus is Lord. So understand this further, my brothers and sisters. This isn't a democracy feel good. This isn't a social club. You don't go to church to do good things to make yourself feel good. If they make you feel good in the process, that is a, a spin-off. That is a symptom. That is a benefit. But what you're commanded to do is go and feed the poor, visit the lonely, bury the dead, visit the prisoners. These were the commandments of Jesus. The corporal works of mercy, as we call them in the Catholic Church. We do them because Christ commanded them, not because it's a do good, feel good operation. It's 
do this because the least of my brethren, the least of my children need help. Doesn't make us feel good. See, the point is, you know, we confuse when we go to the soup kitchen and we feel good about, you know, helping the poor, which is a wonderful thing. And when we go and, you know, go to like uh, these organizations like Agape, Golden Touch, you know, where we, we go clothe people and we help them uh, uh, prepare meals or Golden Touch where it's for the older people. We go visit the older people in the um, in the uh, we call it the. Um, the, the, the hospitals and the hospices and the, the, the uh, nursing homes, that's the word I was looking for. I'm so sorry. That these make us feel good. So somebody decided, you know, groupthink, that by conversion, when we feel good about doing these corporate works of mercy, the church is always about feeling good. No, it's not. There's some suffering involved. There's some, some suffering and purification needed. So it's not always feel good. So if you're coming into the church as a gay man, and by some grace of God, you have been called to the church. You're interested in becoming a Catholic. And then you hear a sermon that says, repent and turn away. The concern of the priest, the concern of the congregation isn't that you, oh, we're going to lose him. So let's make it mild. The concern is we're going to lose him in hell if we don't get him to convert his ways and soul. We shouldn't be worried about numbers in the pews and smiles on the faces. We should be worried about bodies and souls in hell as opposed to how many people are in the pew. Because I can tell you there's probably an equal amount in every parish to the smiling souls and people in the pew that there will be in hell. Why is that? Because we have a lot of weak pastors who go, can a baby be baptized by uh, by the Catholic Church if you have two gay parents? Maybe. Can we have a transgender godfather? Maybe. Make everyone happy. Everyone, please go to the baptism. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the God non-binary, whatever you want to call this person, goes and sins that night. Just by their presence, they're sinning. It is a ridiculous concept. It is a ridiculous concept to have a transgender godparent. The godparents are there to model the parents, to model God's truth. God's truth, one man, one woman, holy matrimony. The godparents not need to be married to each other, but they stand as a individual and an individual, a model of a woman and a model of a man, a model of a Mother and a model of a father. Yes, you have a mother and a father, but the godparents are there in the event that the parents should die or be incapacitated in some way up until the age of reason where the godparents can bring the Catholic faith to the children. The other part of being a godparent isn't just simply being a random man and a random woman that maybe you go to mass on Christmas and Easter, but the godparents' requirement is that you are practicing Catholic, and in some cases, just a practicing Christian. They'll call it a sponsor, not a godparent. But in any event, you're practicing your Christianity so that if the child loses his parents, in most cases, 
let's be honest, like parents aren't even practicing Christianity or Catholicism. This is a sham baptism because this is a cultural thing that they do. And I've seen many of them. I've seen many of them. People profess, do you profess to turn away from sin and Satan and all his works? They ask the parents and the godparents. Yes, yes, we do. Because it's written on the paper. It's like a it's like an empty ceremony. But true baptism of a baby. The parents are in good standing with the Holy Catholic Church. They're going to mass on Sundays. They're going to confession. They're taking Holy Eucharist purely and with intent. The godparents the same. They're practicing Christians. They're there to support the spiritual life of the child in the event that they're Catholic, truly Catholic parents, truly Christian parents die or incapacitated so that they can give the spiritual support to that child. They're designated by the church of these are the people that will teach my son or daughter the faith. So how in the living name of Christ almighty in heaven and all the angels of saints is a man dressed like a woman, a man taking hormone therapy, a woman with facial hair uh, and, 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 and uh, uh, all these different prosthetics that they put on. I'm trying to be as PG as possible who are physically sinning by the existence of their presence in the state of mortification of their body, supposed to teach this little baby Catholicism. You're a man living as a woman. You're going you're gonna to be a godparent. You're disqualified from godparent the moment that you decide to sin against the nature of Christ, the nature of God. This should be no maybe. No, 100%. I'm not even a theologian, a professional one, I should say. But it's a common sense. I mean, it's, it's written everywhere. It's, you can't be in sin, controversial sin, sin that scandalizes, and say, I want to be a godparent. But see, there, what we see here is no different that the two liars stand as godparents looking as if they're Catholic, professing as if they're Catholic. One beats his wife, doesn't go to church. The other one, she's almost half prostitute. The only difference between them is that God knows and we can't see because there's many baptisms that are shams out there. Let's be honest, ladies and gentlemen, where they have the godparents stand in as, Oh, we, we profess and they sign the papers and do all this stuff. The church needs to start investigating baptisms like they used to, like my home church does. Let the priests sign off that these people are in good standing with the church. And then it's the priest's soul who's going to burn in hell if he's a liar. Not just everybody come in and become a godparent. So I'm not I'm not saying that there's a worse sin involved with transgender godparents than there is with the fake, you know, uh, straight godparents that sin uh, secretly. I'm saying they're equally as disgusting. They're equally as sinful. But we're not called as Catholic Christians to bring in more sin. We're called to clean up the sin that we see, the sin that we know. We stop the things that we can and we continue to work on the things that are hidden. We already have a problem with the baptism situation between the, you know, the two heterosexuals that are really not practicing. 
Catholicism. Now we're going to add in transgender godparents. Sure, let's pile more garbage into the, the, the burning trash dump that is society. Let's add society into the church as opposed to putting church into society and trying to clean up the world. There's now the subject of transgender baptism for adults. This one, they just get more and more ridiculous. That like, like you go down the line of these things that have been asking for the church and they're, they're more and more ridiculous. Okay. So, so let's, let's go through what it means to be baptized as an adult, as a child, you, you look to your parents to do the best for you. And, and you know, when you get older, you would like to look back on that and say, mom and dad did the best they could. Maybe they weren't the best Catholics. They weren't the best Christians. They did the best they could. I'm going to take now at the age of reason, which is, I believe, seven or eight, some places nine, depending on what the bishop decides and what actually is, you know, relevant to the child. But from the age of reason on to maybe like legal 18 or whatever it is in your country, 21, the, the child or the young adult looks back and said, look, they did the best they could. I'm glad I got baptized, but now I'm going to take it from here. Okay. They lived as best as they could. You know, maybe they were semi-Christian. Maybe they were the part, most perfect people in the world, but I'm going to take it from here as opposed to growing up and say, oh, mom and dad told me the gay lifestyles are amazing. I don't know what they got me baptized for because I just disagree with everything the Holy Catholic Church says. But now we have adult baptism, which is a completely different subject. So when you ask for an adult baptism in the Holy Catholic Church, you're asking to be now physically brought into the body of Christ, the true church, the one church, the truth. You know, I don't sit here and I don't play games. I don't do ecumenical uh, uh, juggling. Okay. A communism for me means conversation with other Christians about the truths of the faith, not conversations with other people about how we can make sinful lifestyles and sin part of the church. You can be ecumenical with between a Catholic and a Baptist and agree on certain biblical principles and disagree on others. And that's why we call them separated brothers. There are brothers in Christ who are separated. But I have nothing in common with a secularist or a modernist who wants to bring stupidity, sin, and degradation into the church. That's not ecumenism. So I don't believe in that type of ecumenism. Let me get back to transgender baptism. So in transgender baptism uh, was, was, or I should say this, some priests and prelates and bishops asked the Vatican most recently, can we baptize a person undergoing hormone or gene therapy and who is living in a state where they're living the opposite of their birth gender. In other words, a man is living as a woman. Uh, a man has mutilated his, his private parts. Uh, a man is maybe hasn't mutilated his private parts, but is dressing as a woman, has, has uh, taken some hormones, has taken you know, drugs to try to uh, alter the, 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 their facial features or has done surgeries to do so, and vice versa, the women to look like men, to be like men. Biologically, they will always be men and women. Scientifically, they will always be men and women. Spiritually, they will be men and women, but their outward appearance has either been uh, changed through mortification, through mutilation, through gene therapy, through chemical castration, through chemical means. So there's always some kind of scientific or butchery involved in this. It's more like butchery, but 
So the answer from the Vatican was, under certain circumstances, if it does not cause scandal to the faithful. Let me repeat that to you. The Vatican's response was, under certain circumstances, if not scandalous to the people, if it does not cause scandal to the people. How stupid is this answer? How dumb, how ridiculous, and how non-Christian, how non-Catholic, and now how non-human, and how non-compassionate is this answer? The mere fact of a person living a lifestyle that is contrary to the truths of God, that he's only created men and women to live like men and women And you take a transgender person, a non-binary person, and you baptize them, the argument's going to be, well, George, baptism erases original sin. Original sin. It erases original sin as a child. It erases original sin as an adult. What it doesn't do is it does not erase your state in life that is sinful. Okay? Now, can an ex- transgender person get baptized? Absolutely. Let me explain to you why this is a big deal. Some people are going to argue, well, the first step should be baptism. We should accept them into the Holy Church and baptize them. And then after their baptism, they could go and reverse their gene therapy, hormone therapy. No. No. The church does not bend to the sinners. The sinners bend to the church. Jesus Christ didn't bend to the to the people, the people bend it to Jesus Christ. Jesus was not a follower. He was a leader. Why are we trying to make the Lord our slave? It is ridiculous to think that you should make no changes in your life and that the church should baptize you because it makes you feel good, because it's the right thing according to society to do. What should happen in these cases is that I don't have any thought against giving lessons to transgender people, meaning teaching them the faith. I have no problem with giving people who live in a degradational sexual lifestyle the gospel because Jesus Christ preached to sinners. It is preaching. It is not. It is also, you know, repent of your sins, but we're also giving them lessons. So I have no problem with them going through the RCIA, which is the right of Christian initiation for adults. That is the program in the Catholic Church that you go through as an adult before you get baptized. Now, there are other ways to enter the Catholic Church without RCIA, but it is a typical way because most people who enter Catholicism, there's a lot of doctrine that most of us learn in Catholic school or, or through our teachers and our cate- excuse me, our catechists that you don't get as an adult. Your 40-year-old guy or 40-year-old gal Coming into the church, there's a, way, a long way to catch up. Now, bapti- it, it's not a requirement for baptism because the only form and substance is water. And I baptize you, John, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what there is is still the hope that after baptism, you live the faith as a faithful person. And without ammunition in the gun, your gun is useless. Without fire, your food is not hot. Without education and spiritual uh, uh, spiritual formation, 
your baptism just turns into the same baptism as the baptism of the small, innocent child of the gay couple. The baptism itself isn't good enough to continue you on a life of holiness. It is the start of claiming you for God the Father and claiming you for the kingdom. It is the mark, the indelible mark, that now you belong to Jesus. You belong to the God the Father and the Holy Spirit. You belong to holiness. And that in order to proceed being holy, you must continue in the ways of the Holy Church, in the ways of the apostles. So the first thing you do as an adult is you start, as you're learning the catechism, as you're learning the Bible, as you're going to these classes, at the end, you're going to be baptized at Easter time, generally speaking. It's generally when most new catechumens, people who are learning uh, to be Catholic, come into the church at Easter time. All this time you're learning, you're not perfect. You're, uh, you're being prepared. You're being prepared. You're being prepared. So I am not opposed of transgender people attending these classes. You're being prepared. But before you enter the kingdom, not heaven, but before you enter into God's family, most of your stuff that you've done before should be cleaned up. And then baptism will erase and forgive your sins. And then you may continue on. So that the idea here is if a transgender person wants to enter into catechetical classes, catechism classes, that is. Catechetical just means the classes of catechism. It's a fancy Latin word. They should be at this time while learning the catechism, reversing as best of their ability physically, spiritually, mentally, and chemically, whatever they've done to their body. If you've castrated yourself as a man, there's not much you're going to do down there, okay? But now you've done the reverse gene therapy. You've done, and these things take time. I'm not saying that they're overnight. And frankly, I don't really care how long they take. But it is the proper stance for you to change your life. Go and sin no more, like Christ said, in order for you to be baptized so that you can carry your sins on. Otherwise, we, the church, the body of Christ, the bishops, the cardinals, the priests, the people who hold the deposit of the faith, don't make it anything special to be baptized. We just go start baptizing rando people who have no understanding of what it means to be a child of God, and furthermore, do no work to have that happen, adults that is, and and do nothing to change their lifestyles. So I go baptize a whole bunch of transgender people. Hopefully, if we did that, one, two, three, hopefully all of them would then automatically change their ways, do the reverse gene therapy, do all the, but it's not the reality, people. It's not the reality. These questions are being asked not because there's serious people out there who want to be baptized Catholic who are transgender. Maybe there's one or two or three. I can't judge everyone, and I'm not trying to. But these questions are being asked of Rome because they're trying, agendas are trying to infiltrate the church to make the church soft. Absolutely. Do we want to baptize people who are once transgender and now seeing the truth and turn their life around? Absolutely. Do we want to baptize? Children who are brought up by gay couples? Absolutely. 
after the fact that those people stop living in sin, stop having active sexual lifestyles, fight their inclinations of lust towards uh, people of the same gender. Maybe they uh, they they find attraction in, in the opposite sex at one point, and maybe they don't. If not, that is their cross to carry. Well, that's not fair. It is not fair. Was it fair that the king of the world was crucified on a cross with nails in his hands and feet, spit upon and beat? Was that fair? Was that fair? Was that fair that the Blessed Virgin Mary had to watch her son die like a common criminal? Was that fair? Was it fair that St. Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned for simply proclaiming Jesus Christ, hit with a million stones in his head, died of a possible concussion, internal bleeding? Was that fair? No, it's not fair. So asking someone to live a holy lifestyle because it doesn't make them feel good but is the right thing to do, isn't fair. I'll be the first one to admit it. It's not fair. It's right and proper and just and merciful and loving to do so. All these positive terminologies that the world will give you don't generally mean they are aligned with truth. Good for the world and the secular doesn't usually mean the author of good Jesus Christ in his doctrines and his commandments and his gospel. It means they're nice. They're nice. I don't liken myself to be try to be nice. I liken myself to try to be polite, to try to be respectful, and to be Christian. But if I have to say something to aggravate someone in order to save their soul, that is true love. I see my brother in a, in a, in a sinful relationship or in something that is going to harm his soul because of the deep love for him, the deep commitment to him, the deep understanding that he is probably on a wrong road is enough for me that he should not talk to me on this earth, but hopefully we'll see each other in heaven. I don't need to be loved by men. We shouldn't want to be loved by men. It is great to be loved by other men and other women, meaning that we're seen in the eyes of the world as, oh, a person who is, you know, happy and a person who is helpful and a person that is kind. That is amazing. And and, 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 and that is a good thing. That is a positive thing. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit. But at the end of the day, if the choice comes down to lying to your friend or your brother about the truth of the gospel to make them feel good in their sin or their lifestyle and maintaining a relationship with them or proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ every single solitary day and twice on Sunday. I I, I don't understand what this whole good concept is. Good and nice. Good and nice. Good and nice. Good is the living the truth of the gospel. Nice is a symptom of people liking you. That may or may not be because you're doing the right thing, the correct thing. Jesus himself, Matthew 12, 48 to 50, said, but he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brethren? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, Jesus said, 
Here are my mother and my brethren. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Again, so you can hear it. Jesus Christ himself said, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Translation, he wasn't here for a popularity contest, so we shouldn't be. What makes us different than Jesus? Why do we think that when we say the world is so unfair? Yeah, the world was unfair. They crucified the one innocent man. There's no man on the face of the earth, no woman on the face of the earth without guilt and the stain of original sin. Jesus Christ himself only. How less fair is it that that man be crucified for our sins? That he be drugged through the street, beat with whips and chains, spit upon, kicked, pierced in his side, whipped, crown of thorns on his head, bloody, bruised, blackened, beat within an inch of his life, only to be put on a cross and nailed to be dead by suffocation. Because if you know what crucifixion is, crucifixion, you don't die from your wounds. You don't die from the little hand uh, the little nails, not little, let me tell you, very large nails in your hand and feet. What you die from is the inability to breathe properly. When you breathe, you inhale and you exhale. There's a chest movement. And when your body is stretched and constricted on a cross, your movement is within centimeters. You're not able to breathe in and breathe out properly. And water starts to form on your lungs. You drowned to death. So not only was this man beaten and bruised and broken and, 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 and bloody, but after all that insult and all that degradation and all that abuse, he eventually suffocated on his own lung that produced water. They said, when they pierced his side, blood and water came from his side. You guys hear this on church on Good Friday? You hear it in the gospel. No one asks questions. So where's the water come from? But no one, no one says where the water come from. Everyone says, oh, blood and water came from his side. You know, we hear it every day. Even, even great faithful Christians and Catholics, biblical people, the water came from him not being able to breathe. And if you ask any clinician or any physician, they will tell you, the lung produces water, and he suffocated to death. Why do I say all this? Because I'm sick and tired of hearing, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not, life is not fair. But if it wasn't fair for the individual who created life itself, who chose that life, if it wasn't fair for him, why much more do you think you're so better? When people lose children, it is a tragedy, and it is a, is a very bad thing when you see your child go before you. And then some people do one thing and some people do another. People question and people can uh, scream, why God, why? But then when you curse God, think about Jesus's mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the only woman on the face of the planet 
who would ever be considered a walking saint. The most holiest creature. Jesus wasn't a creature. Jesus was the creator. He wasn't created by anyone. He created himself. He is part of the Holy Trinity. But the Blessed Virgin, the holiest creature on the earth, one who was created is the word creature, suffered that indignation, that insult of her son being beat and bloodied on a cross and taken away from her. If she was blessed among women and full of grace, as the Bible tells us, then why do you think, mothers and fathers, when your children are taken away from you, for whatever God's purpose, what are God's glorious and holy purposes in this painful time, why would you not say, glory be to God, for his will is done, not mine? And that's probably really hard to say. But why would you not liken yourself to the Blessed Virgin Mary and live in silent prayer and, you know, maybe you go through anger, maybe you go through some frustration. But to turn to God and say, God, why'd you let this happen to me? God the Father allowed it to happen to his son, second person in the Holy Trinity, and the only woman on the face of the earth who could be considered a living saint. Those people are more special than we'll ever be. But why do we have this self-centered nature that we're more special than them? You want to be Christian, you want to be Catholic, but you want to say, why me? You can say, why me? But you don't turn and curse God. There's plenty of people who've questioned God, and God has given them the answer back. But the people who don't, who turn away from God are those that refuse his will. Example. John the Baptist, when John the Baptist was going to be born, his father, Zechariah, was a priest in the temple. He was giving incense and alms to God. He was selected to do that once a year. He was selected to do it because once a year, the high priest would call in a priest and say, now you're going to give the incense to God. It, it, it is a very high honor for the high priest to call a general priest, a general Hebrew priest, in to do that honor. So Zechariah... The son of John the Baptist was called to do that before John the Baptist was born. And he had a vision. He had a vision of either God or an angel. I don't remember which. And the holy vision and the holy voice told him, your wife will be with child. And he said, how can that be? She is so old. He questioned. Now for his unbelief in that particular, he never turned away from God. He never turned away from God. but. He questioned God, and for his unbelief, his small punishment was to be silent until his son was born. And he proclaimed that his name would be John. He says, and you, and the Holy Vision said, you will call him John. Okay? So Zechariah, pretty much, they had John the Baptist, and they proclaimed that his name was John. And he spoke because he then believed when he seen that God is all-powerful and almighty. That's different than Judas Iscariot. Judah Iscariot. Judas Iscariot seen the miracles of Christ. Seen what Christ could do. Seen what 
he could, how he could enter the kingdom of heaven. Yet, he denied Christ, not in the same way St. Peter did. Okay, because there's a difference here. Not in the same way that Zechariah questioned. He sold out the Lord. He sold the Lord for a secular purpose. Money. Silver. St. Peter himself, the head of the apostles, when pressed Holy Thursday night, if he was one of the followers of Jesus, Jesus told him, you're going to deny me three times. He denied that he knew Jesus. He denied that he knew Jesus, and he denied that he knew Jesus. Three times. Peter didn't sell out the Lord. Peter also didn't question the Lord. Peter denied the Lord in word, not in deed. Zechariah didn't deny, he questioned. So in each level of turning your face away from the Lord, there is a punishment and a reward. The one that was not forgivable was Judas, who walked with the Lord and sold him away to be bloody and broken. And only then that he then, what did he do? Did he ask for forgiveness? No. He went and committed another mortal sin. He hung himself. What did Jesus do? When Peter seen him on the shores after the resurrection, Peter was in a state of bewilderment, similar to Judas Iscariot. The difference is Peter recognized that he sinned. Judas probably recognized that he did something wrong, but then Judas followed it up with something even more wrong. Self-murder. Peter did not. Peter wallowed in his sorrow, wallowed in his approach. Jesus asked him, do you love me? Three times. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Why do you ask me these things? Go feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. Your sins are forgiven you. There was a transformative nature about the father of John the Baptist, who was silenced for his question. There was a transformative nature of Peter, who was suffering in his soul after he denied Jesus. Doing penance, essentially. But there was not a transformative nature in Judas Iscariot, who immediately had self-pity and self-loathing and killed himself. He didn't ask for forgiveness. He didn't fall at the feet of Christ. He didn't seek his brother apostles to forgive him. He didn't seek to make amends. He sought to end the pain. So if our whole idea of Jesus and his whole religion, Christianity, specifically the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, is to make us feel good, it's not correct. We have to do the correct thing in difficult circumstances. If we lose children, we can get upset and mad, but we never turn our way from God. We say, thank you for the small time that they've, you've given us, Lord. Why? I don't understand. Help my unbelief. Help me understand this, Lord. 
I struggle with this, Lord. I'm angry, Lord. I'm mad, Lord. I'm sad, Lord. I cry out to you from the depths of my soul. God, forgive me. Help me to understand. Not, why would you do this to me, God? There's a difference in these questions. There's a difference in these things. You can ask God questions. We're human. We don't understand his whole will completely. But we cannot bring God down to our level and expect him to conform to us. He has a holy and a sacred plan. And sometimes that holy and sacred plan gets a little bit rocky, a little bit unsteady for us as humans, doesn't make us feel so good. We start to question whether or not this is the right way. And we should just go with the worldly things that are make us feel carnally good. This is not being a Christian. Being a Christian involves a little bit of suffering. It involves a little bit of dryness of faith, meaning that, or not dryness of faith, excuse me, dryness of prayer. You pray and nothing comes of it. You don't hear the voice of God in your soul. You don't have a sign. There's no revelation to you. The path isn't clear. You pray and 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 you don't see anything in one day. One day, hopefully, God answers you in some way. God is never silent. He has three answers he always gives. Yes, no, or not now. Yes is easily identified. No is easily identified. Not now is most of, where most of us fall away from the faith because we cannot wait. We are an impatient people. We are a people that want instant gratification. You see it by some of the Christian versions of Christianity that are out there, the false Christianity, the Christianity. I've talked about it before where you get the false prophet preacher. He swings his arm and the Holy Spirit comes and 20 people in the front row fall down with the wind of the Holy Spirit. Everyone's healed. That doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. Praying, fasting, studying, loving, calling yourself and your family members to repentance. This is the way it happens. Slow and steady wins the race. So my brothers and sisters, I call you. I call you to remain steadfast. I call you to remain positive. I call you to remain holy. And I call you to remain faithful to the deposit of faith that was handed down to G- from Jesus Christ to the apostles for us and our salvation because God loves us. Stop for the love of God. Stop trying to bring the worldly problems and the worldly issues to be acceptable by the church. You're going to start seeing the bishops and priests making the church or trying to make the church because you can never change the church more worldly stand up and speak out stand up and speak out we must we must separate ourselves from the things that are profane and proclaim the things that are holy this whole can we baptize uh 
these kids that are have gay parents? Maybe. Can we have transgender God parents, God birthing people, whatever they're going to call them? Maybe. Nonsense. Can we do transgender baptism of his adults if there's no intention of the adult to change his or her lifestyle back to the original way that God made them? Maybe. Nonsense. There is a clear, clear set of moral instructions and God-given truths that exist. And men only will convolute them for other men. I say men like humans. Humans will only convolute them for other humans to seek prestige and honor and acknowledgement in the eyes of other humans. I rather someone's feelings be hurt and their soul be saved than their feelings uh, be affirmed and their soul be damned to hell. How do you love your brother and watch him burn in hell? How do you love your sister and watch them burn in hell? Well, I might not talk to them, George Anthony. There might be a period of silence. So be it. So be it. What part of Catholicism and Christianity can you not understand from the Bible? We nitpick and we take love thy neighbor, love thy father and mother. But Jesus then turns around and says, after the Ten Commandments were given by my Moses of Mount Sinai, who are my mother and my brothers? All those that listen to the words of my heavenly father. He qualifies it. He doesn't say dishonor your mother and your father. But if you you start to talk to your mother and father, let's say, or your brothers and sisters about Christianity and you start to talk to them about the church and they decide not to talk to you. Your goal in life is not for them to talk to you. Your goal in life is to give them what they need so the Holy Spirit can start to work in their life. It may be that they die on their deathbed and do not ever speak to you again from the time that you proclaim the gospel to them in a loving and a kind manner. But it may be that they die without speaking to you. But in the seed that you planted, the Holy Spirit has started to work and they have accepted Jesus Christ on their deathbed. I would sacrifice speaking to everyone I know if it is possible that they would all be saved. And I would hope that someone would do the same thing for me. If I was stubborn to turn away from the truth and lost sight of the what was important in life, which is God and then family and then country. I would hope that someone would make the sacrifice to not be able to speak to me, to not be able to be my friend, to not be able to be my brother, to not be able to be uh, in relationship with me, worldly relationship, in the fact that they proclaimed a truth of God to me so that on my deathbed or possibly before then, even if I wasn't speaking to this person for whatever selfish reason, that I would then turn my life around. I hope that what I do for others, they would do for me. It's not for me to be in relationship with them. This whole idea coming out of the Vatican is synod on synodality, communication, meeting people where they are, dialogue. What are we dialoguing about? I believe in communication 100%. Jesus did it all the time. He talked to every kind of sinner there was out in the world. Prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners, the possessed, the, the downtrodden, 
the widows that were cheating on their husband, had seven husbands, uh, unlawful marriage, everything. He talked to everyone. And he dialogued with them as well. So these words come out of the Old Testament. They, excuse me, the New Testament and the Old Testament alike. There's more dialoguing, let's be honest, in the New Testament than there was in the Old Testament. Old Testament was very, very rigid as opposed to adhering to the law. But Jesus dialogued with sinners. But there's a caveat to that dialogue. What was he dialoguing about? Was he just talking to them to be nice, nice and make friends? He met the woman at the well. And he told her about her life of sin. She had said, I'm going to my husband. She says, the man that you call your husband is not your husband, for there's been others. And it said, you know, and he said to her, you know, not what you believe, but we know us Jews know what we believe. And then he told her about the son of man, a.k.a. himself, Christ. And she says, who is this man for I will fall down and, and worship him. He said, it is he who speaks to you now. Go and sin no more. Like, he was dialoguing, but guess what he was dialoguing about, everybody? The truth. He wasn't just out to make friends and nice conversation. So the same thing is with your family and with your, your friends and your acquaintances and the people you work with. We're not here to just be nice, nice. Let the gay friend be the gay friend. And, you know, you take opportunities to love them. You're not going out and hitting them with a Bible and a cross and trying to convert them every single minute of the day. But when you are asked about how you live and you are in close living proximity to these people, you don't turn them away. We're not shunning them. We're not Amish. We don't do that. But at the same time, you don't allow your light to be under a bushel or a basket. Like Christ said, you let your light shine. What is your light? Your light is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in fire and burned in you. You give them the truth. A lesser man, a lesser woman will become what they call worldly and ecumenical and pleasing and dialoguing. Speak to them. Speak to them of the reason that you have to hope, which is Jesus Christ and and not condemn them because you can't condemn them for their lifestyle or for their sin or for their alcoholism or for their, 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 their porno addiction or for whatever it is that they have. We have sins as well, but you want to bring the light of your life, which is hopefully prayerfully Jesus Christ to them. Don't hide it and continue to watch them go down the road of sin and degradation by dating, you know, your female cousin with another female, your male cousin with another male, your 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 other cousin is a degenerate gambler, your other uh, brother, brother-in-law, sister, sister-in-law, whatever, is is living in a sinful lifestyle, living in uh, cheating, uh, 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 divorce, all of it, all of it, abortion after abortion after abortion. No, you must love them and you must dialogue with them like the Vatican says, like the good book says, but you dialogue about the truth. You don't dialogue about let's be kumbaya, hand-holding friends, and we never upset the apple basket. Upset the apple basket. For out of upsetting the apple basket, you will save the apples that are not going to rot because of the surrounding the other ones are decomposition. If you have 
If you know anything about mulching or anything about decomposition and you know anything about, about science, you put a good piece of fruit in a bunch of de- or surrounded by decomposed fruit, that fruit will decompose eventually more quickly than it would if it was sitting on a table by itself or with good fruit. We must not be afraid to lose familial relationships, friendships, or positive feeling, worldly feeling, against proclaiming the truth. Now, every time you go over someone's house, you're not going to say, praise the Lord Jesus Christ, let us let us pray and vow. Come on. Come on. We're, we're, we're not, we're not. We're not crazy. That's crazy. Jesus himself was the example. He took opportunity. Even when he talked to the apostles, he didn't say, I have come. I am the Messiah. He said, follow me and I'll, I'll bring you fishers and men. He was talking to them prior when he was talking to Peter. He was talking to them about fishing. There are opportunities to insert the holy gospel, the holy word into your conversation. There are many opportunities. The one most common way is the way you live, the way you practice and the way you pray. Yourself as an example is the first way. The second way is by loving your neighbor, your family and your friend. And the third way and the most difficult way and the last way is to actually give them the truth. If you live a Christian life and you love your family, your neighbors, and your friends, but you never once, never once bring the conversation about the truth of the hope that you have, the truth of Christ, the truth of his church, the truth of his commandments, you have failed. You must live as an example. You must love as an example. And you must tell them. You must implant. the Because in this world and day and age, there are people who are living in sinful ways. We're all sinners. But living in complete sinful ways who say, oh, well, isn't that good for him? No, it's good for everyone. Everyone. The gospel is for every single person, everyone. Without Christ, there is no salvation. You cannot be saved by Islam. You cannot be saved by Buddhism. You cannot be saved by Jainism. You cannot be saved by Hinduism. You cannot be saved by any of the isms. You can only be saved by Jesus Christ, mercy and compassion. And it is our duty to go into the world, into all the world, and preach the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to just end with this one last piece on Bishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas, to give you an update. Bishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas, was removed from his position on Saturday, not too long ago, by the Vatican. Why is this important? So if we know about the structure of the Holy Catholic Apostolic Church, the Pope himself is a bishop, and he is 
a successor to St. Peter, which is the first pope. Okay. And all the bishops in the world, cardinals and bishops, are successors of the apostles. It just happens to be that the pope is the one chosen amongst many bishops to be the head bishop. Someone to defer to in times of trouble, someone to defer to in times of dispute, someone to go to to internally internally lead the other apostles. They're all equal in dignity. Being a pope isn't any holier uh, than being a bishop. They're all they're all bishops. They're, so when you're ordained meaning that you're given the indelible mark of, of uh, priesthood. There's only two times that you're given an indelible mark. It's when you become a priest and we become a bishop. All the rest of those positions are positions inside of the church that do not leave an indelible mark. What does indelible mark mean? It means a mark on your soul that changes you. So when a man becomes a priest, he is given certain blessings and he is anointed with oil and now he is a priest forever. Even Judas Iscariot was a priest. He was just a priest in hell. And trust me, there's more to come of those. But he never could change that he was a priest. When you become a bishop, it is likewise. You are elevated now to a leader of leaders. Okay? But all those other positions in between, like Monsignor, which comes after priest. A monsignor is just a priest. A bishop is just a priest, but he's a bishop with another indelible mark. So a pope is just a bishop. A cardinal is just a bishop. So why I'm saying this is to, for the non-Catholics who, who or, and some of the Catholics who don't understand the levels of the church. Now, each bishop isn't a bishop running around independently um, and it has no diocese a place where he is in control of the faithful and their souls and their education and, and the proclamation of faith. In the Catholic Church, every bishop has a bishop. Oh, I shouldn't say bishopric because a bishopric is in England. The words are the same, bishopric or diocese, meaning an area, a physical area of control under his jurisdiction. A bishop has both a political and not, not politics, but a, a a a political function in the sense that he's controlling a jurisdiction like, let's say, Philadelphia, Des Moines, Iowa, uh, Sydney, Australia, Rome, Italy. He controls that area and is responsible for the faithful. OK, so not only is it a religious position, but it's a political position. So a bishop always is given a diocese, always given an area where he controls, usually a big city. Sometimes it's a whole country. It depends on how how things are carved up in the Vatican and how many people there are and how many you know responsibilities. OK, so Bishop Joseph Strickland was a very holy and very pious bishop out of Tyler, Texas. He's a Texas boy. He was blessed to stay in Texas. Most bishops travel from one end of the United States to the other, depending where the pope puts them. But he grew up in Texas. He's a Texas boy. He is not, in any sense of the word, a man who is going to be silent. And he's not a man 
who is looking for attention either. He has a very good balance of proclaiming the gospel as well as being humble at the same time. He is not looking to just bypass life and be a bishop and no one knows he is and he does his job and whatever. And he's also not looking for attention. He speaks up when he needs to and he shuts his mouth when he needs to. He knows what to do and for what reason. He's made several pronouncements. The same pronouncements that I make here with regard to the degradation of sinful lifestyles, with the regard of following your Catholic Christian conscience to lead you and not be led by men who tell mistruths, to holding to the deposit of faith, to not implementing restrictions on the holy Catholic and apostolic extraordinary form of the Mass, a.k.a. the old Latin Mass, the Latin Mass, which can never legally ever be considered illegal. You cannot just say a mass of the ages that we, we had it all the way up until Second Vatican Council can no longer be said. The Pope has said, said it. He's attempted to say things silly and ridiculous. And we have a whole bunch of bishops falling over their head, outlawing the traditional Latin mass because the Pope said it. If the Pope is in error, then the Pope is in error. But what Bishop Strickland has done is in brotherly piety to his fellow bishop, the Pope of Rome, the Holy Pontiff, Pope Francis, has said, Your Holiness, these things are not correct. He's made it known time and time again on Twitter in his writings to to the world and, and most specifically to the people in Tyler, Texas, that he will always follow the deposit of faith given to us by Christ and the saints, the apostles passed down through time and not the pronouncements of modern man. There's certain things that can't be changed no matter if a Pope says it or not. The Pope doesn't have the authority to change the doctrine of the Trinity. The Pope doesn't have the authority to change the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. The Pope doesn't have the authority to change the deposit of faith. On the surface, he can get people of little education or evil intention or ignorant understanding to follow him. And he may be of one of those three categories. There are some people out there that say the Pope is purely evil. I do not say this. There's some people out there that say the Pope is purely stupid. I do not say this. In fact, I say nothing because I cannot judge the man. But what I can tell you is that the actions coming from that man on certain issues The actions coming from our Holy Father, from our Father, in some senses are abusive. That does not exclude the fact that he is our Father. There are abusive fathers. There are abusive mothers. Doesn't mean because we have a Father of the Church, a Holy Father, a Pope, that he is not wrong and he is not abusive. His intention is to be seen. Does he do this intentionally because he's an agent of the devil? I don't know. I certainly don't think so, and I pray for him every day. But the effects of his action, whether they're innocent or misinformed or intentional, are the same. I can't judge the man. He may be doing the best that he knows how with the education and the resources that he has. I pray that that's the case. I pray that his soul is not in jeopardy because he's trying to do the best he can, but it does not make his actions correct. 
It does not make his actions right, and it certainly doesn't make his actions holy. What I'm saying is it doesn't matter the man's intentions or how we got here. The things that he's saying in some degree are not correct. We should stop focusing on whether the pope is an evil pope, whether the pope is misleading us intentionally, or whether the pope has a cabal of men around him that are changing his opinion. I don't care what's actually happening there. That's for God to sort out. What we need to understand is what's right and what's wrong. You know it's the tree by its fruit. The tree is the church. The fruits are what come from it. If you have something that is being proclaimed against the gospel, I don't care if the Pope is saying it, as innocently as it may be, if it's against the gospel, it's evil. I can't judge him as evil, but I can judge the action as evil. It's the same thing. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Love your brother who's the homosexual. Love your sister who's the, who's the, who's the abortionist. But don't love what they do. Call them to repentance. We have to call Pope Francis to repentance. And why I went through the spiel is because Bishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas, calls Pope Francis to repentance out of love and charity and respect and does not follow his papal decrees when his when the Pope's papal decrees are against the deposit of faith. He puts up filial correction, brotherly correction, and says, no, Holy Father, this is against the deposit of faith. I cannot perform this in good conscience. I will lead the souls in my diocese, in my geographic area, to hell if I do this. So after many years of Bishop Strickland performing his duties as a good and faithful and holy servant of the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, he has sent two apostolic visitors, basically fellow bishops who are sent by the Pope to see what's up in the diocese, what's going on. That was months ago. Days ago, he received a letter telling him that he was relieved of his duties as Bishop of Tyler, Texas. And no reason given. In the Catholic Church, there is a canonical process of removing a bishop from his diocese. There must be a crime, a religious canonical crime that was committed in order for him to be ordered from his diocese. Now, is it valid and licit that the Pope remove him? Yes. Why? Because the Pope, by virtue of his office, is above canon law. So it is like this. Jesus Christ, the apostles, the successor of the apostles, canon law, and all the rest of us. The Pope is absolutely 100% above canon law, the written law of the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. It doesn't mean it's just. It just means that's the way it works. But there was no canonical crime stated why Bishop Strickland was removed. The reality is he was removed because he was a thorn in the Holy Father's side with promoting the truth. With showing up to protests where transgender nuns were disrespecting Catholic Church and causing a 
firestorm in Los Angeles where he refuses to baptize transgender teenagers and transgender adults, where he refuses to baptize the children of gay couples because they refuse to repent and bring the child up as a Catholic, where he refuses to shut his church during the COVID epidemic simply because the secular authority says to do so. No one has authority secularly over the church. He didn't get with the program of telling all his his people they had to get the vaccination. He said, as a matter of conscience, if you should if you believe you should get the vaccination, you should get the vaccination. If you believe you shouldn't get the vaccination, you shouldn't. I will not force you one way or the other. Because he doesn't believe that abortion is a woman's choice. Because he is clear and Catholic. Because he is both strong and humble. We have a lot of faker bishops out there. Bishops that may may be spiritually, religiously so strong in their convictions but say nothing. And soon as the Holy Father makes a pronouncement that's not in accordance with the Holy Gospels, they follow it or find some way of flandering to follow it or make it fit, cut the corners, car around, uh, circle the square, so to speak. Bishop Strickland simply looks at the square and says, this peg will not fit. This peg is not Catholic in this Catholic puzzle. He is the epitome of recognize and resist the movement of the traditional Catholics to recognize that we have a Holy Father, recognize we have a leader, recognize we have a shepherd, recognize we have a successor to the apostles, but resist when we are told left is right, up is down, Good is bad. No is maybe. Yes is no. We are not disobedient to the Pope. We are obedient to Christ himself. And Bishop Strickland, and rightfully so, believes that he was removed for being a thorn in the side of the Holy Father. Now, isn't that amazing? While we have a whole conference, conference meaning a group of, conference or synod of Catholic bishops in Germany who are now blessing men and men at the altar and calling them marriages, women and women at the altar and calling them marriages, allowing women to give the homily of the gospel allowing women to basically become pseudo-deacons and certainly try to make them priestess. Now, you can't do any of this stuff because there's no such thing as gay marriage. There is no such, it's all show. But he's allowing them to run freely, but removes Bishop Strickland. You tell me, justice? I think not, my friend. I think not. We must stand for the truth. And like Bishop Strickland, 
become followers truly of Jesus Christ and throw everything else to the wind. Our fame, our fortune, our friendships, our relationships. He will reward us in heaven. He may reward us on earth as well, but that's not guaranteed. His guarantee to us was to reward us in heaven. So if you truly want to be Catholic, you'll stop shutting your mouths. You'll stop going along to get along. You'll stop being nice, nice. I'm not saying don't be nice. Don't misunderstand me. But if your only priority is to not upset the apple cart and to make the other love you by the most shallow meaning of the word love, not true love of another human being where you love them to their core. So you love them in life and death where you don't want to see them burn in hell. That's true love. Not, I love that person because he's so nice to me. I love that person because we will get drunk on Friday. I love that person because we're in a sexual relationship. I love that person simply because the definition of love isn't nice, happy feelings. Sometimes they, you must suffer for that person spiritually and, and possibly physically. But you will give everything on the line for them, including the loss of the relationship. I keep stressing this because people don't understand how to reconcile this. Our modern society doesn't allow us to have negative situations be positive. Everything is happy and feel good. Bishop Strickland was interviewed and they say, well, why didn't you stay? It was an unjust order. He said, yes, it was an unjust order. And yes, I disagree with the Holy Father, but I recognize him as my father and I must obey. I'm not obeying him to do a sin. He didn't order me to do something and I obeyed. He took a position away from me. He took something from me. So therefore, to fight him is to show disobedience to God. Look how look how amazing this man is. He's not he wasn't in it say I'm right and you're wrong and he what you know honestly, he's morally right. He's absolutely correct. He did nothing wrong. He is 100% morally correct, but he's even more morally justified that he is allowing himself to be, in a sense, martyred for the faith. But that doesn't mean he's going to continue. He's, the, he's not going to continue to open his mouth. So the Pope's taken away his position as head of a diocese. He's still a bishop. He can still bless and proclaim the gospel and teach and do confirmations, and confect the sacraments, and uh, uh, confect the Holy Eucharist. His holy authority isn't gone. His jurisdictional authority over Tyler, Texas was gone. This actually frees him up to be more of a weapon for Christ. And I hope that the bishop understands and recognizes this. He is now free to travel the country and roam the country and proclaim Christ as the original apostles did. Glory to God for this. Glory to God. Was it unjust what the Holy Father did to him? Yes, but now an opportunity has opened itself up. We have to start to see the good in things, ladies and gentlemen, my brothers and sisters, and stop the why me, why me, why me. 
I am guilty of it just like everyone else. But what I want to leave you with in this podcast is the understanding that truth and proclamation of the truth come with consequences and suffering. If you're looking to become a member of the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church as a Protestant or as a non-believer or someone who's now discovering Catholicism either through this podcast or through the many things that are out on the airways, I will never lie to you and say that it is going to be easy. This isn't like picking a church, and I'm, I'm going to ask you for your forgiveness if I misrepresent this, but there's a lot of Protestant people who skip from denomination to denomination because it's a feel-good. Like, I like this pastor. I don't like this pastor. This music is good. This music. And in some cases, we do that in Catholicism. But the difference is here we have the truth. Catholicism professes the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We didn't remove books from the Bible like our Protestant brothers and sisters did. And we didn't add to them like the Orthodox did either. We have the Gospels and the books of Christ and the truth unchanged for over 2,000 years. If you're looking to come into that church, you're looking to come into the fullness of Christ and practice it. You will suffer. You will give sacrifice. What level? I don't know. Some will be very small, if not even detectable. Some will suffer greatly like the great saints. Whether it be physical, spiritual, or mental, you will suffer. Christ said, pick up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, pick up your flower basket and let's be floofy. Pick up your pillow and let's go to sleep. Pick up your cross and follow me. You will suffer. You will lose family. You will lose friends. In God's will, you lose none of them and they come along with you. You will lose sleep. You will lose physical uh, stamina. You will lose something. You will give it up for the glory of God. It is a sacrifice to be a Christian. It is a more sacrifice to be a professed and practicing Catholic. Not wishy-washy, all in, every day, 24 hours a day, prayer at meals, prayer at bedtime, prayer in the morning with your children catechesis, Bible, rosary, living that way, professing the gospel, giving the reason why you hope. Don't fear to wear a cross around your neck. Don't fear to speak to people about the love of Jesus Christ. Don't fear to go uh, feed the poor. Don't fear to, to seek others to be baptized in the kingdom of Christ rightfully. Don't fear to proclaim divorce as a sin. Don't fear to proclaim abortion as a sin, as murder of children. Don't fear to be Christian. Don't fear to be Catholic. Don't fear to be a son or daughter of the living God. You will suffer. But if you don't seek God and you want to come into the church for another reason, you may not suffer on this earth. But I guarantee you, you will suffer in the next life. So do we choose righteousness and justice and truth or do we choose popularity and comfort on this earth?
you know my choice. Brothers and sisters, I pray for you all, and I hope that this podcast has been a blessing to you. Christ is the King. Ave Maria. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you again for allowing me, by the intercession of the Holy Spirit and your blessed Mother, and all the angels and saints, to proclaim the gospel to the people who are listening to this right now. We ask, Lord, that this podcast be a blessing to each and every one of them, and that through my voice and through your inspiration, that they go out and have the same fire in their hearts to proclaim the gospel to their loved ones, the people around them, by their word and their deed, by living holy lives, by living Christian lives, by following the doctrines of, of, of Jesus Christ, by doing all the things that you are called to do as a Christian and to spread the gospel where one be two and two be four and four be eight. Let it multiply, Lord. Let, let the words of this podcast that come from the Holy Gospel, that come from your inspiration, inspire others so they may inspire others, so they may inspire others and others still. I ask you, Lord Jesus, for the people who are now listening to this podcast in secret, who are listening to this podcast in fear that someone around them may find out that they be a Christian, that you give them the strength that you gave Elijah St. Elias, the prophet for who this podcast is named, to stand up and proclaim holiness, to not be scared. The strength that you gave every single holy man and woman through the ages that was not of their own, that they could never have gathered by themselves without you, that you give them the Holy Spirit, you send them the paraclete, the messenger, Lord, You send it to them so that by not their will, but thy will, they can love you and preach the gospel and save souls, save their own souls, the souls of their children, the souls of their spouses, the souls of their brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, bosses, friends, neighbors, and everyone they meet. Instead of listening to this podcast and cowering in the corner as some side of entertainment, that this be an inspiration for them, that they turn on the TV and find good Catholic Christian programming, that they open the Bible and read your word, that they email me, Lord, so that I can continue to personally shepherd them, that we can together, as wherever two of us are gathered, Lord, you promised so for you would be, we believe in this, Lord. We believe, I ask you, Lord, to give the Holy Spirit to everyone here listening, whether on this day, the next, or the next, that they have supernatural graces, Lord, power to stand up and no longer be afraid to be a secret Christian, but a Christian with commanding voice of God to love and serve you and you alone. But by loving you, they may love others. It doesn't go the other way, Lord. You know this. We must love you in order to love others. Lord, I beg you and I plead you that you assist me in assisting the listeners and that the listeners find some solaceness. We also, Lord, pray for world peace. We pray for peace in the Middle East. We pray for peace in Europe. We pray for peace in man's hearts. We pray for physical peace. We pray for spiritual peace. Lord, we pray for healing physically. 
We pray for healing of the spirit. We pray for healing and understanding. We pray that all men's needs are met, not to meet man's needs, but in order for them to be able to worship you more. Those things that get in the way, Lord, of people proclaiming the gospel, wipe them from the listeners, Lord. Wipe them from our lives. If you are to make us suffer, so be your will. But let it be for the glory of your kingdom and all other things that come from the evil one. All obstacles, Lord, we ask you to wipe away so that no one has the excuse that I have this and I cannot preach the gospel. I have this and I cannot say the rosary. I have this and I cannot go to mass. I have this and I cannot speak to my brother. I'm too shy. I'm too scared. I'm too timid. Wipe these obstacles away, Lord, so that every single brother and sister here can gather the strength to do what is right, just, and proper. We pray these things through the intercession of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary, St. Joseph, St. Elias, St. John the Baptist, and all the angels and saints and holy martyrs including St. Michael the Archangel, who defends us in battle. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For questions, comments, or concerns, please contact us at editor at saintelliasmedia.com Also, please visit our website at saintelliasmedia.com where you will find updated articles and additional resources. The St. Elias Report is hosted by George Anthony. It is produced by Vic Hermanson. Our technical director is David Griffith. The St. Elias Report is owned and operated by St. Elias Media and is a Masabki Brothers production. It's